Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. So I have this recurring nightmare, and I don't know what yours are. Maybe for you, it's showing up to class in your pajamas or getting to the end of the semester and realizing that you've totally missed one of your classes and you can't graduate. For me, um, a recurring nightmare that I have is that I show up to some conference or church and I'm being invited to come up on stage to, to speak and realize I, I had no idea that I was going to be called uh, to speak. And uh, literally twice in the last week this has happened to me, uh, including right now. So you guys are living a nightmare with me right now. Um, yeah, last week I was in a couple of countries in Africa, and I visited some friends in Rwanda thinking that we had one schedule, only to learn when I arrived, hey, there's this youth conference and there's 1,200 high schoolers um, gathered together, and we're going to go to that conference. And I thought, well, that's great. And then as we're uh, walking in, my friend says, hey, I'd love for you to give a greeting. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, 30 minutes or so should be... <laughs> should be fine. Um, so anyway, with that, I, um, Brad asked me this morning if I could bring something, a word um, that's been in my heart, and actually uh, something that God has been stirring in me is a message. It's very similar to a message that I spoke um, here some years ago, and yet he brought it back to my mind and resurfaced it a couple of weeks ago as I was preparing to, to speak at a church in Uganda um, this past week. And so as I was thinking about it this morning in the little bit of time that Brad was uh, asking me to consider this, it, it immediately came to my mind and I thought, I, I need to share this message again um, or a form of this message. And I'm really hoping that it resonates in some way um, with you this morning. We're going to be looking at uh, the passage in Revelation 3 that deals with being hot, cold, or lukewarm. And specifically, it's Revelation 3, verses 14 through 16. Uh, if you want to turn there, um, or I will just read it um, out loud. And this is a pretty familiar passage that um, many times we've heard, even people who are unchurched have maybe heard reference to this. But I would venture to guess that it's one of the most misunderstood and misrepresented scriptures um, in the Bible. So with that, let's read uh, verses 14 through 16. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of the creation of God, says this, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Um, think about some things that you know of that are good, either hot or cold. Um, the first one that comes to my mind is coffee. I love coffee. I'm especially uh, a hot coffee um, person. And I'm growing to like cold coffee. 
uh, more. In fact, just last week I read that cold coffee or iced coffee has actually surpassed hot coffee um, as uh, sales go in Starbucks. And so if you go this season with uh, the pumpkin flavors that they've added, um, it's actually, they've actually added more iced pumpkin drinks than hot pumpkin drinks this year because of that trend. So anyway, coffee is one, tea is another one. Uh, I grew up drinking iced tea, but I've also grown, unlike um, some uh, Br uh, Americans who coach British uh, football, I actually have grown to like hot tea as well. Um, and then pizza, arguably, is really good, hot and cold. That's debatable, but um, many people like cold pizza in the morning. Uh, pain therapy is another one. Depending on how long ago you injured yourself, um, hot treatment can be really useful or cold iced treatment can be useful. So before focusing on this passage and getting back to Revelation 3, I, I want to give a little more background to the context of the original um, situation of the church in Laodicea, because I think it's really critical in understanding this passage. First of all, John had been exiled to the island of Patmos as a punishment. He was basically imprisoned on a um, near vacant island. And just a side note on that, you know, it's remarkable to me that we can be imprisoned or go through something really difficult, like John being um, on this uninhabited island as a form of punishment. And yet, even in the midst of that, he ends up having a revelation of heaven, um, amazing things that God did in his heart and spoke to him while he was there. And that's just a side note that I was thinking about this morning, um, how no matter what our situations are and how much in prison we may feel like we are, God can actually show up in those times more than others, and we can have a taste of heaven even in the most difficult of situations. But that actually has nothing to do with my message. So I'll get back on script. The beginning of the book of Revelation contains seven letters to seven actual churches that were in existence in the first century. They were seven churches that were within about a 100-mile radius of one another in what is modern-day Turkey. So Jesus is speaking through John to seven actual churches. And most of these churches received both a rebuke and praise. Um, you see that with the first five churches. Then the sixth church, which is the Church of Philadelphia, um, nothing to do with Pennsylvania, a different Philadelphia, it received only praise. And then the final church, the one that we're reading about, Laodicea, it only received rebuke. So that's kind of the pattern and what we're seeing here. And this morning, I want to uh, ask and try to answer three main questions. And the first of those is, what does Jesus mean by being cold or hot? And I'll read again verse uh, 15. God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. Many people use this passage to justify all kinds of behavior. Um, it's often been interpreted that God wants you to be on fire for him or completely 
away from him. He just doesn't want a half-hearted following of him. In fact, I had youth pastors growing up who would tell us, you know, if you're not going to be completely sold out to God, you might as well be the biggest partier in your school and just go all in on sin. Because what God really hates is kind of a half-hearted, you know, seeking of him and following of him. And that actually has nothing to do with what this scripture is about. Um, I'm reminded of a time where a friend of mine tempted me to go see a movie that I knew we shouldn't see. My parents who are here, they, they already know the story, so I'm not outing myself uh, for the first time in front of them. Um, my parents dropped me off at the movie theater thinking we were going to a certain movie, and he tempted me to go to this other movie, and I remember actually having the thought go through my mind you know, I'm not really following God that earnestly right now. I might as well go see this movie. And I did. I went and saw that movie, and I got caught. Um, so, but really, that's not what this passage is about. And I think that the best way to understand the meaning and to understand how the Laodiceans heard this message is to look at the location of Laodicea and get into kind of the original context uh, of the city and the people that were hearing this um, from Jesus through John. So Laodicea was a city that sat in between two other uh, popular cities. Um, there was Heropolis, which was eight miles to the north, and then Colossae, which was eight miles to the east. But what does that have to do with this passage? Well. Heropolis was well known for its hot springs. People would travel to Heropolis specifically to bathe in the hot springs um, to find healing and comfort and soothing, particularly people with arthritis. They would travel there and benefit from this hot water um, that they had in Heropolis. And then Colossae, on the other hand, was known for its cold springs. And likewise, people would go there to find refreshing cold water. And it was just known as the place uh, to go for great refreshing cold water. So when those in Laodicea heard, I wish that you were either hot or cold. I don't want you to be lukewarm. They understood this in a very different context. They understood it in the context of, yes, we know that hot water is good. Yes, we know that cold water is good, but we also understand lukewarm water is not great. Their water actually arrived to them um, via a six-mile aqueduct that would cause the water to become very tepid and um, lukewarm, as well as pick up a lot of chemicals along the way. And so it, it is said that Often, people, after drinking water in Laodicea, would get nauseous and, and actually throw up. So, again, this scripture and this, these words of Jesus fall on their ears, ears very differently than how my youth pastor explained this scripture to me. And I think that to those in Laodicea, hot and cold both represented something good and something useful and purposeful. God is saying, I want you to be useful, purposeful, beneficial. 
I don't want you to be like your own lukewarm water that is actually not soothing nor refreshing. And I, I want to talk about what it means for us to be hot. So what does it mean to be hot or cold in our context today? I think that um, being hot means being soothing to those around us, being a balm of healing to the people that we interact with. To the family member that's broken and weary, it's uh, being the hot water that is a calming presence that walks through their ordeal with them. Or when a coworker reveals to you that they just got really bad news from the doctor. The Laodicea heart says, oh man, that's tough, I'll be praying for you. And then proceeds to not even pray for them. But the hot uh, response would be, um, how can I walk through this with you? Let me go to your appointments with you. Let me watch your kids while you are um, dealing with this situation. God wants us to be a hot, soothing presence. So what does it mean to be cold? I think that uh, being cold often means being a refreshing drink to those who aren't in relationship with God. To those who haven't tasted and experienced the reality of God, the proximity of God, like we maybe have. You know, often in the Bible, salvation and relationship with God is referred to as living water. And I think that being the cold water is being that conduit through which someone can know God, can meet Jesus and understand uh, the reality of him in their lives. Suppose your boss, you know, mentions to you someday, you know, I used to go to church when I was younger, but I just don't know what I believe about religion now. The Laodicea response to that would be, oh man, I want to get home. I don't want to get into a conversation. Or, you know, I don't want to be labeled as one of those people. And so I'm just going to let that comment go by. The cold person, on the other hand, thinks, you know what? This seems like an open opportunity for me to share what God's done in my life. And I'm going to purposefully try to be a cold, refreshing drink um, to my boss in this situation. Okay, so that's uh, what Jesus means by being hot or cold. The second question is, why were the Laodiceans lukewarm? And I think that the key to, or the key answer, the key indication as to why they were lukewarm is actually found in the next couple of verses. We're going to read now uh, Revelation 3, 17 and 18. This is again Jesus speaking to the Laodicean church. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. I think the key to understanding why they found themselves lukewarm is the word I. I am rich. I have acquired. I do not need a thing. And I think it has to do with their pride and self-sufficiency, their self-sufficient attitude. 
Even the name of their city is pretty revealing. The name Laodicea literally means the power of the people. And it's documented that in the year AD 61, there was a really bad earthquake in Laodicea that um, killed a lot of people and it was very destructive. And Nero sent aid from Rome to help them and the Laodiceans rejected the help and said, we don't need your help, we're gonna be just fine. That's the type of people that Jesus is encountering and confronting here in this passage. Another um, really interesting thing that we learn as we read this scripture but also study the history of the city is that even though their water was awful, they did excel and took pride in three specific areas. They were a really big banking city. They um, had a big gold exchange in their city, and it's kind of like the Wall Street of the area um, of that time. They had their own mint for making money, and they were financially just well off, very rich. Another thing that they were known for is their eye medication. So they had created uh, a salve that people would um, put on their infected eyes. Uh, it would bring healing. It was even said that um, sometimes it would cure blindness. People would come looking for help and actually receive uh, a restoration of their sight from this medication uh, that they produced. And then finally, they were known for their very fancy and high-quality black garments that were made from the wool from black sheep um, in the hillside around them. So this city is known for banking, for eye medication, and for very fancy garments. Let's read verses 17 and 18 again with those three things in mind. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put in your eyes so you can see. God is literally gut-punching them here with um, his direct attack in the very three areas that they thought they had it all together, that they excelled in. And he's basically saying, no, you think that you are rich and self-sufficient, but I say you're poor. You're not storing riches in heaven. You think you're experts in the area of seeing, and yet I say you yourselves are blind. You don't have spiritual sight. And people come from all over buying your special garments, and yet I say you're naked. You're not clothed in righteousness. Okay, that leads to the final and maybe the most important question. What does all of this have to do with me? What's the relevancy to me today? I think that just as with the Laodiceans, there's a connection between us being prideful or not needing God and becoming lukewarm or of no use. I think that we face the same challenges that the Laodiceans did. We can become self-sufficient in our wealth our good ideas, our strategy, our charm, our talents, our strength. And, you know, sometimes it's when these very things are challenged or shaken that we're drawn back to dependence on God 
and actually see him work in the most mighty ways in our lives. Let's compare the church in Philadelphia, the one that received only praise, and then the church in Laodicea. So in verse 8 of chapter 3, this is uh, Jesus' words to the church in Philadelphia. And he said, I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. And then skipping to verse 20, talking about the church in Laodicea, Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. There's two doors visualized um, in, in these two churches or with these two churches. With the church in Philadelphia, we see an open door, a door that never is shut. And the imagery is God coming in and out, interacting, relating with the people. The people had this openness to God. And then we see a closed door between the Laodiceans and God. And yet, this isn't all bad news for the Laodiceans. God isn't just rebuking them for the purpose of shaming them. He describes himself as standing at this closed door and proactively knocking on it and saying, if you simply open the door, I will come in. I will change this situation. I think the very fact that he's rebuking them is indication that he cares and that he has something better for them. It's how we often uh, should discipline our kids. It's not for the purpose of just expressing anger or getting out frustration. It's for the purpose of we know that there's better for you and we know that you can change your ways and improve. And in fact, we know historically that the church in Laodicea ended up actually becoming a thriving church center. And so this message hopefully is not a downer of a message, a, a, simply a rebuke, but is actually a challenge toward something better, a better life, um, a door that is open. I, I also just want to point out this little side note. I think it's really interesting that to the church in Philadelphia, he says, you know, after he says, uh, I've placed before you a door that cannot be shut, he says, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I think it's easy to read that and it's easy to look at our own lives when we lack strength, when we lack self-sufficiency, and think it's a negative thing. And, and yet I think it's that very characteristic of this church in Philadelphia that made them so favored in God's eyes and in a, in a right relationship with them where he's coming in and, and out and interacting with them. So if that's you this morning and you feel like you're lacking strength or you're weak, maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe God actually um, is at work in that and can use that in a really cool way. I want to close by just sharing with you something that might sound a little, I don't know, hyper-spiritual or weird, but it's part of the reason why I felt like sharing this message this morning. 
a week ago, I was flying to Africa, and I was actually wrestling with what message I should share uh, to the Ugandan church. And this was one of the messages that was in my mind, and I, I was kind of reviewing some old notes that I had written about it. And, and I had the thought, man, I, I really deep dive into the historical context here, and I just don't know, like, if that's relevant to, to where I'm going, or is that what I should be, you know, sharing on? And I, I kid you not, I, I shut my laptop with this thought in my mind, and kind of a prayer to God of, you know, is this what I should speak on? I, I turned on the flight map, as you do when you're on a 14 and a half hour flight, you're, and you're trying to figure out where in the world am I? And um, when I turned on the map, I saw Patmos pop up. We were literally flying right beside the island of Patmos, and I, I lifted up my window shade and looked out, and I could see the island with some lights on it um, in the darkness. And I just, I felt like, and God, I think because I'm so hard-headed and spiritually insensitive, God often speaks to me in sort of dramatic or like signs like this. Uh, and I, I just had this sense that that was um, him confirming, yes, I want you to share this message. And I just thought about that again this morning as I was um, pondering what could I share with you guys. And I, and I say that just as maybe an encouragement that I think there might be something in this message for different ones that are here today. And I wrote down a few thoughts. I wrote down um, that there might be four different types of people that are here that something from the, not this message, but the message that Jesus spoke through John to that church in Laodicea resonates or has meaning for you. One, you're here and you know that there are areas of your life where you've taken complete control and you're operating out of your own strength. And this is just a reminder that that's not how God wants us to operate. Two, and I already kind of mentioned this, you're here and you're weak. You're lacking strength. And it's frustrating or just you're viewing it as completely negative. And, and that's maybe understandable. And yet God might be able to work more powerfully and beautifully through that weakness than he can through other strengths. Three, you're here and you can't honestly remember the last time you were a hot or cold agent um, in the world around you. And you long, as you're hearing these words, you long to be a soothing and healing person, a refreshing, life-giving person. And then finally, there may be someone here or multiple people here who you've never had that open door type of relationship with God. You've always felt kind of like the Laodiceans where there's this, this door between you and a possible uh, divine entity. And you've, even, you've lived without belief in him or whatever. And maybe there's something stirring and you don't even really understand it, but there's something stirring in your heart or in your spirit and he still today, just like in the church in Laodicea, he still stands at those types of doors and knocks and is just poised and ready to enter in and to meet you, even in that unbelief. 
So I pray that that blesses you. Let's just close in prayer. God, I thank you for your scripture. God, I thank you that scripture often has very um, applicable and meaningful things for the original recipients and yet also has application and profound truth for us today. And God, I just pray for those four areas or four potential types of people um, that might be here today. And God, I pray that you would meet each one where they find themselves. And God, that you would work mightily um, in their lives and that they would walk out of here having a sense of your presence and your desire, God, to uh, use them as hot and cold agents uh, to those around them. God, as we now take time and Rudy leads us in communion, God, we pray that you would continue to just speak to our hearts and draw our minds uh, to center on you and what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Brian, for that word. Can we give him a hand for, for facing that nightmare and, uh, and bringing us a word, a word from the Lord today? I know it blessed me. Um, so as he said, I'm going to be leading us in communion today. And I just want to go to the text today and look at the moment recorded in multiple gospel accounts when Jesus calls his disciples together and they gather for what we know is the Last Supper. And just read through it together. I'm going to provide some commentary just so we can have a, a deeper understanding of, of communion. Maybe you're new here and no one's ever explained to you the heart of communion or maybe um, you've, it's been so long since, since you've heard it or, or it's just always been a ritual. But today I really want us to get to, to the heart of the reason why we engage in communion um, so we're going to read from the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to start at verse 14. We're going to skip around a little bit. We're going to get down to 19 and 20. So Luke 22, verse 14, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I want to pause right there and just let you know that we have a God that earnestly desires to be in communion with us, that earnestly desires us to come to the table of grace. And this moment is so interesting to me because it's easy to assume that this moment is, is really for, for Jesus. I mean, he's going to the cross. He's about to be persecuted, so he, he wants to gather the guys together and have a meal. But as we continue to read, we'll learn that this moment isn't, isn't for Jesus at all. He, he earnestly desires for the disciples to come to the table because he knows that they'll need it. See, he's going to be separated from them. So he, he wants to bring them to the table to help them provide comfort, to help provide comfort for them. So we're going to continue to read here, um, just verses 19 and 20. And it says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks... He broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. Now, I think there's a few things in verses 19 and 20 that I think 
are really important to, to point out. I think the first thing is Jesus references the new covenant here. And what he's talking about is um, the Passover is really a moment that, a meal that commemorates the biggest moment in, in Jewish history um, when they were freed from Egyptian captivity. And God said, if you sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over your door, then the judgment will pass over you. See, God sent a plague of death over the nation to help free uh, the people of God, the Israelites. And Jesus is now saying that I'm actually the sacrificial lamb now. And although they were freed from literal slavery, I'm freeing you from sin, from the bondage of shame and guilt. And another thing I think that is so important in, in this text where Jesus says he gives thanks before he breaks the bread and then he gives thanks before he distributes the wine and Jesus, the son, is thanking the father for what God is about to do for his people. Jesus is, is pausing for a moment of gratitude before he shares this Passover meal with them. And the last thing I think that's really important to note here is that he says, do this in remembrance of me. And I think this is so important because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget what it feels like to be to be bound in sin and shame and guilt. It's so easy to forget what life was like before Jesus when maybe we were purposeless or directionless or, or so disconnected that we couldn't, we couldn't love the people around us. It's so easy to forget not being able to have the hope of the world and a light and a fire inside of us that shines and burns so deeply. So what Jesus here is encouraging his disciples to do is to, to remember to take these elements in remembrance of me. There's nothing special about the elements, <laughs> but it's about what they, what they represent. Uh, and when now Jesus goes away and the disciples are distraught and they're discouraged, he's saying, hey, there's actually something that you can do if your heart posture is right that will help you feel closer to me. And he says, do this as, as often as you can. So that's what we're going to do today. We're just going to take communion. Um, the band's going to lead us in worship. And I want you to pause and have a moment of gratitude for just the opportunity to be in relationship with the Father, to be able to come to him in prayer, that, that Jesus reconciled us with God, a God who is just and holy. So there has to be a sacrifice. And Jesus said, I'll take that place now. So we as sinful people can come to the Father in relationship. I want you to think about that in gratitude. I want you to remember. Remember the importance of the core of what we believe, that Jesus, that he, that he died for us. And that we now get to live in a life of, of wholeness and live in a life of purpose. So I'm going to pray. Um, and I want you to begin thinking about the, the things that the text and, and, and the power of the cross. And, uh, and then the band is going to lead us in worship. And, and then after we pray, you all can go to the back. There ta there's a table back there, and, and the elements are there. And you can come back, and, and uh, I'll, I'll lead us in actually taking the communion. So let me pray real quick. God, I just thank you for this moment this, and this time. Lord, we are so grateful that you did what you did so we can be in relationship with you, Father. God, help us to remember 
to remember the life that we've been given through your death. <laughs> to remember the power, the peace, the joy that we have as a result of relationship with you, Lord. And the love that you displayed for us for, for giving the, the ultimate sacrifice. Lord, I pray that as we go into communion today, that we have a moment where we're present and we can experience the, the importance of, of taking these elements and that we walk out of here feeling connected and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So now that we all have our elements, I'm take a moment here and lead us in taking them. This is the body broken for you and me. Let's take this remembrance of what Jesus did together. And this is the cup representative of Jesus' blood. Let's do this in remembrance of him. Amen. So I uh, just want to pray again quickly for us. Um, God, just thank you for the opportunity to take communion, that we have symbolism that helps us remind us of your goodness, kindness, and grace. So I pray that as we go into this week, Lord, that you help us to continue to remember, continue to live from a place of gratitude and remembrance. And let it overflow on those who are around us and connected to us. So God, I thank you for everyone in Dallas Church, here and not here. And I just pray your blessing over them. In Jesus' name, amen.